We're going to continue our series on understanding the Bible. And congratulations, today we cross the threshold from the Old Testament into the New Testament. If you haven't listened to all the different series, I encourage you to go back on the website because they build upon each other. We've been tackling large sections of books because my goal is for you to not look at this book that's 1,200 pages long and be totally intimidated, but to understand the flow of the story. And today we cross into the New Testament, and if the Bible's new for you, which it always is to many people in this church, um, the New Testament basically denotes the coming of Jesus. So the Old Testament is before him, and the New Testament is once he's come. We move into the four Gospels as our entry point, and many people wonder, so why are there four stories telling the same thing? Why are there actually four different Gospels? And the best way I can illustrate that is through sharing a story of something that I went to in the fall. It was a funeral, and it was a funeral of a, a dear older man who had been a part of our church for a long time. Now, I always have mixed emotions when I go to a funeral because I'm a, a very sensitive guy, so I know that, that it will be uh, full of mourning for me. But I also know when it's someone who is a Christian and has followed the Lord wholeheartedly, I know it's going to be a tremendous celebration because they've gone to a better place. And I'm always impacted by what people tell about their life. It always reminds me of what's most important. You know, I, I'm, I'm never most touched by the eulogy where they read out the person's accomplishments or the homily where the pastor talks. It's always the testimonials. It's always what friends and family members share about a person that really warms my heart. And it was no different in this case. This man was Chris Cecil, and he was about 70 years old. And four different people got up to share. The first was his college roommate. And he shared these hilarious stories about them hitchhiking across America because they loved music and they would go to these huge music festivals with, with no money and, and on, on no budget. And then he talked about how after that they moved to different states, but they wrote these long letters their whole life to each other. It was, it was deeply touching. The next person knew Chris in a shorter season of life, and that was when Chris was driving a delivery truck. They would ride together. And this man had been a Christian, but had really walked away from God. And he shared with tears in his eyes how Chris was the perfect person to sit for hours in that truck just listening to him share his heart. And then Chris would answer his tough questions and always answered with such grace and love. And how this man eventually came back to walking with Jesus. It was awesome. I was actually the third person asked to speak. And so as a guy that had been in one of my small groups, I talked about how Chris was such a, a prayer warrior and actually a man who really gave his life to fasting and contending for the kingdom of God to, to come, especially in this church. And then the fourth guy that shared was an older man who was a refugee from Africa. And he shared about how Chris had tirelessly served their community, always meeting the basic necessities of different individuals and families' lives. You know, it was amazing because four different people speaking about the same person drew out such different aspects of his life. And I think that's why when God sent his son Jesus onto earth and then decided to chronicle it in writing that he actually has four different books written by four distinctly different men. Because we see this beautiful mosaic being woven together to see who Jesus truly is, as the Son 
of God. I put a chart together to outline some of the differences, but first I want to just tell you about the, oh gosh, you are so on it back there that I couldn't even get, I said chart, poof, it's up there. Amazing. Let's, let's move to the basic flow of the New Testament first, so before you get into that. I know you're excited about charts, people. Um, the Gospels. The Gospels where we start. It's the first books of the Bible, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. This tells the story of Jesus. The next part of the New Testament will be called the book of Acts. That is the birth and growth of the early church. Next will be a long section. It's called the letters. And it goes from the book of Romans all the way to the book of Jude. They're letters written mostly from the Apostle Paul, but other church fathers and leaders who are explaining how to live the Christian life, both to churches as well as individuals in churches. Lastly, we come to the book of Revelation, which is amazing. It's the unfolding of the end times and how God will be with the church and how we pass from one era of history on earth as we know it now into the next era with the new heavens and the new earth. Now going back to this chart, yes, all right, there we go. I want to outline some differences in the Gospels because there's going to be different times of your life where you're going to need different things from Jesus. So you're going to have your curiosity pricked about different aspects of his life. And so although these are telling the same story, they're told from different perspectives and highlight different aspects. So just looking at them for a minute, we start with this, this row on the author. Matthew, the first book, is written by a Jewish disciple. He actually walked with Jesus. He was a tax collector. And if you look down, his main purpose was to show that Jesus is the Jewish Messiah. Secondly, we go to Mark. Mark is also known as John Mark. He was a traveling companion of Paul and Barnabas. He's a second generation believer. It'd be like the youth or the college students in this church. And he is really speaking to the Romans. You see this down here, the community that he is speaking to. And the Romans, they're a lot like us as Americans. Like they like things fast-paced. They like comic books. They like uh, Marvels, Marvel movies where things are just pop, 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 pop. So where Matthew is 28 long chapters, Mark is 16 short chapters. You can get through it really fast. Uh, the next is Luke. So this is the first non-Jew writing, and he's a doctor, so he's going to tell a very historical account. He also writes the book of Acts, but if you see it in his gospel, he's going to highlight some different tendencies of Jesus, like how he actually goes to the poor, or how he ministers and uplifts women, or how he reaches non-Jewish people. Now, the lastly is John. John is the beloved disciple of Jesus. Everyone say, ah. This is what I want to be. This is what you want to be. John was Jesus' best friend. Incidentally, John's actually the disciple that lived the longest. Maybe there's a connection there. And John's really, it's less of a chronological history, and it's more focused on understanding the theology, the person of understanding who Jesus is and also who the Holy Spirit is. If this whole thing with the Holy Spirit and his power and work is new for you, I highly encourage you to study the book of John. So four different books. Now, they all have four different parts in them. Like, so there's, there's this similarity in how the story flows. It's four acts of a play. 
they all share this in common. So the first is introducing Jesus. The first thing we see in all of them is an introduction to Jesus, but it's all distinctly different. So in Matthew, the one who's writing to a Jewish audience, we see it starts with a genealogy. This is the genealogy of Jesus, the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Matthew is unveiling the long-awaited Jewish Messiah. Then we move to Mark, right? Remember the fast-paced one? So listen to this. Of course, it's a short sentence. The beginning of the good news about Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of God. Mark just kind of punches you in the face. Hey, this is the Son of God, right? You're like, wow, Mark, you just came right out there and said that. Wow, that's, that is flashing news. Okay, then we move to Luke. Luke, he's a doctor, so of course he's going to take us into the delivery room. We're going to see the baby born. We're even going to know what the baby was wrapped in and placed in, right? Classic doctor. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus. He'll be great, and he'll be called the son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. Luke is unveiling the baby king. Some of you know that song from our Christmas musical. Then we come to John. We come to John, the beloved disciple. He says, in the beginning, I mean, John takes us all the way back. In the beginning was the word. You're like, wow, in the beginning was the word. What is this all about? And the word was with God. And the word was God. And he was with God in the beginning. You're like, John, okay, if we thought Mark just punched us in the face, you just blew our minds. Your first sentence, you say Jesus is God. What in the world? All of these unveiling who Jesus is. So part one the introduction of Jesus. Part two, this is where it gets good. We start seeing the life of Jesus. Don't you love Jesus, church? Oh, we start, we start seeing him gather people and teaching them. We start seeing Jesus and, and how people can approach and he lays hands on them, heals them. He heals the sick. He delivers the afflicted from demons. He, he cleanses leprosy. He he even raises the dead and gives them back to, to their mourning relatives. Then we start seeing how Jesus forgives. Like Jesus actually forgives sin. Even people caught in hellacious sin, Jesus forgives them. And we move to part three. Part three is the painful part of the Gospels. Jesus starts predicting his death. He starts saying that he's going to suffer. He's going to be betrayed. And then we see those events unfold. All of a sudden, Jesus is being tortured. His back is being scourged. Then we see him carrying the cross. Then his hands are nailed to that wood. And the blood is running down. And then we watch him breathe his last breath. And Jesus actually dies. And we're heartbroken. But then we have part four. Part four is so amazing because Jesus rises from the dead. He comes out of the grave, and then he starts showing up to his disciples. Like in crazy places, they're in a room. He walks through the wall, and he's there with them. Hello, I'm here. It's awesome. And then he says, I've got a great plan for you. This isn't just for you. This is for the whole world. The Gospels are known as good news. What's the good news? The good news is Jesus. 
Can I just tell you, he's the best news that's ever happened to the earth. Jesus has come. He's come to show you the love of the Father. He's come to take away your sin. He's come to give you new life. But here, here's the thing. People respond to news differently in, in different manners. You know, some people, they'd open up their app on their phone. They'd look at some news. And, and to some, news is just history. Okay, well, this is just a fact of something that happened. And it doesn't really affect your life much. Where some people take in news as comfort. Like I heard this great news this week that they've actually created two vaccinations or antidotes for the coronavirus. One is in Israel and one is in San Diego. How cool is that? Two pretty cool places. Um, and that brings comfort. Like we hear the news and we're like, ah. Oh. Uh, sometimes news brings a promise of a future. This legislation was passed and therefore in the future our taxes will be dropped. Uh, and then sometimes news, we, we read it about celebrities or, or world leaders, and it, and it lets us get to know the person. Can I tell you, all of these can be applied to the Gospels. But where the Gospel is different is that the Gospel, unlike any other news, it demands a decision. What will you do with Jesus? I think back to the story of my dad, my dad, Bob Herber. Um, he grew up in a church, maybe like some of you, he grew up in a church that was very religious, but it didn't talk about how you could actually have a personal friendship with Jesus. And so dad went through some rituals. He'd be there going through confirmation and, and different classes, but, but never knew he could actually know Jesus. And and so then he started dating my mom, and my mom realizes, oh, he goes to church, but he doesn't know Jesus like I do. So as a good missionary dater, my, my mom said, he's got to read the Bible. So she gave him the New Testament in an easy-to-understand translation. And so my dad would, would come back to his apartment at nights, and just like any normal guy after his, his normal day of work, and he would sit down at the table, he'd pop open his Coors beer, he'd put on his headphones and listen to his rock and roll, he listened to Three Dog Nights specifically, and he'd open the Gospels. And he started just tracking through, he first read Matthew, and over a number of days, then he read straight through Mark, he read through Luke, and he said when he got to the end of John, he did this, he he had the Bible open. He said he, he shut it. He put it down on the table. And then he said he actually hit his head and said, what a dummy I've been. All of these books are about Jesus. And all these books are about the free gift of salvation he wants to give to me. And it's time for me to make a decision. So right there at that table, drinking that beer, listening to Three Dog Night, my dad made a decision to follow Jesus. And it's crazy for me to think about because the disparity between the guy that he talks about being before he knew Jesus, the, the big partier, the guy who hung out in bars doing bar tricks because he was this strong football player, they would actually bring doors and he would punch through them to impress people and to get more drinks. The guy who was a ladies' man, always with all these different ladies, a guy that was angry and frustrated at life changed into the dad I knew that I never see him take one sip of alcohol in my childhood. It was embarrassing how in love he was with my mom and how faithful he was. They'd ride around the car and he'd look at her with these goo-goo eyes. 
And he was the most tender person that, that never, never yelled at me. I understood that the gospel demanded a decision, and that decision can lead to a transformation. Now, I'm not saying everyone has that night and day transformation, but what I am saying is when you give your life to Jesus, something happens inside of you that makes you a new person. Now, here's the, here's, the, here's the complicated thing, because we talk about the Gospels, and I talk about Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and then I talk about my dad receiving the Gospel, or you might even hear in this church, like, hey, you should share the Gospel. Or you might hear someone say, yeah, I got to share the Gospel with my neighbor. And then we get confused, because you're like, okay, four Gospels, um, does that mean, like, you stopped Bruce at work, and you were like, Bruce, I need to share the Gospel, and then you opened up the book of Matthew, and you said, Bruce the genealogy of Jesus, the son of Abraham, the son of Isaac, the son of, you know, did you read to him 28 chapters of a book and take four hours? When we say share the gospel, what we mean is the basic tenets of the life of Jesus. Paul, the writer of much of the New Testament who wrote many letters, he explained the gospel like this. He said, now brothers and sisters, I want to remind you of the I preach to you, which you've received, on which you've taken your stand. By this, you are saved. So he said, you're actually saved by this gospel. If you hold firmly to the word I preached to you, otherwise you believed in vain. For what I received, I passed on to you as of first importance. Now let me just tell you, when Paul was writing this, he didn't have these books. They weren't written yet when he was preaching. And so what did he have? He had an encounter with Jesus where Jesus unpacked these basic tenets of what he had done for mankind. And so he goes on to explain them. That Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. That he was buried. That he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. And then he appeared to Cephas or Peter and then to the twelve. So I love sharing the gospel because when we share the gospel, people get saved. Now, here is my huge concern for the American church. The latest survey that was just done by the Barna Group showed that only 4% of American Christians actually know what the gospel is. Did you hear me? Guys, this is the basic foundation of our faith, and yet only 4% know. So I am determined to have a church that everyone knows. So let me just walk through with you, because it's so simple what the gospel is. I encourage you to either take pictures of these slides or write them down because I want you to be able to share this with your friends, your friends that don't know Jesus. So point one, I'm just gonna share it in four points. Point one, God loves you and has a plan for you. Say, God loves you and has a plan for you. You got one fourth of the gospel, folks. And so then what I do is I draw this diagram known as the bridge diagram. So I know this is an incredibly artistic rendering right here, but you can do something almost this good as well. Now, I, I do this in the sand on the beach. I do this on napkins all the time. I, I did this. I do this on my iPhone under the notes section. I always have it with me. So when I start sharing, I say, God loves you and has a plan for your life. And so here is God. Oh, I usually don't have a laser pointer, uh, but God loves you and he has a plan for your life. And if you could know God, wouldn't you want to? And almost everyone says yes. And I'll say, but there's a problem, and that's point two. Let's put that up. There's a problem. Man is sin and is separated from God because of sin. So this is how I draw this on the diagram. I just draw man with some dirt on him. And I say, 
sin makes us dirty. And I'll say, has God sinned? And people go, no. Is God dirty? No. So it's like we're separated from God. It's like there's a big chasm between us. And no matter what, because I'm dirty, anything I do is dirty and I can't get into the presence of God. Now the Bible goes on to say something worse. It says that the wages of sin is death. We all deserve to die and pay for our sin in a place called hell. Yikes. And so I'll actually draw these flames symbolizing hell. Now, why do I talk about hell? It's because Jesus talked about hell. He talked about it a lot. Why? Because I tell my kids about the places I'm warning them against. I don't want them to get hurt. I don't want them to get destroyed. And so I tell them, we're headed towards a place called hell. But here's point three. Point three is awesome. God doesn't want to leave us in a separated state. He doesn't want us to die in our sin. So he made a bridge between himself and us. The bridge is Jesus. So that's when I draw the cross. Now, this always is where people, you start seeing the light bulbs go off because they've seen crosses their whole life, but they saw them just a symbol, something someone wore. But all of a sudden they're seeing a, a cross in the context of what it really is. It's a bridge between God to man. And so I'll say, what happened on the cross? And they'll inevitably say, Jesus died on the cross. Wow, look at that. I know that's a great picture of Jesus right there. And then I'll explain, the Bible says that Jesus, he himself bore our sins in his body on the cross. So then I'll draw sin where Jesus is taking it into his body. And then I'll say, the scripture says, but by his wounds, we are healed. So then I'll draw his wounds, I'll draw the blood, and look, it covers over the sin. So then I'll say, if we let Jesus take our sin, we can walk across this bridge into relationship with God. And I'll draw a little stick figure walking across the bridge. Isn't that awesome? So then I always go here next. I'll say, my question for you is, have you crossed the bridge? Have you received the free gift? How do you do that? The Bible says this. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, if you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. So I'll draw up these question marks and say, so where are you today? Are you over here with God? Do you have a, a close relationship? Do you know you're forgiven? Or are you over here in your sin? And then I'll also give them a chance. I'll say, or are you right here? Well, let me just tell you, it's impossible to be in the middle. But I know that some people are uncomfortable saying that they're like a horrible sinner. So I just kind of throw them a bone right here. And uh, it's a little trick of the trade right there. Uh, but we all know you're either here or here. So if they mark here or here, I'm like, so here's the question. Do you want to receive this free gift? Do you, you see, because the Bible says it's by grace that you've been saved through faith, not by any works. It's the gift of God. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him would not perish but have everlasting life. Do you want to give your life to Jesus? And right then and there, I'll pray with them. But see, here's the thing. Some people go, well, yeah, I, I prayed that. And, you know, I guess I kind of, you know, I prayed a prayer. I got some fire insurance, I guess. But nothing really changed. No, can I just tell you that four aspects of your life dramatically changed when you accept Jesus as your Lord and Savior. The first is a relational one. The first is, is you totally change your relationship. You go from God just being in heaven to God being your father. Jesus said this, when you pray, pray our father. Do you know that you get adopted? 
You might have had the hardest relationship with your earthly dad. You might have had the worst relationship with your mom. You might have felt like an orphan. Can I just tell you, when you give your life to Jesus, you're adopted by the Father. You become a child of God, and you become adopted into a family called the body of Christ, the church. There is a huge relational change. You will never be alone again. The second change is a legal change. Ephesians 2 explains that we belonged to Satan because of sin. Like you were born into sin, and therefore you were Satan's possession. No, you might not have been a Satanist walking around, right? But legally, because you had sinned, you deserved in the heavenly court to pay for your sin through death. But that's why Jesus came. And Jesus paid the cost for you. And he legally claims you as his own. Thirdly, there's a spiritual change. Let me just tell you, there's only two types of people on earth. Spiritually dead ones and spiritually alive ones. Listen to what Ephesians 2 says. It says this, As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins, in which you used to live when you followed the ways of the world and the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who's now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us lived among them at one time. What is it saying? It's saying all of us start dead, and we follow the world. If you're not following Jesus, you're spiritually dead. But now listen to what this says. This is amazing. And it says, you were gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving wrath. But the Bible says this, that Jesus paid that price. And so Jesus comes to a guy named Nicodemus and says, the only way you're going to see the kingdom is if you're born again. And Nicodemus says, that sounds gross, Jesus. I'm old. I can't get back in the womb. And Jesus is like, no, 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 no. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about being born of the Spirit. It says, flesh gives birth to flesh, but the Spirit gives birth to Spirit. And so when you ask Jesus into your life, he fills you with the Holy Spirit, and you are made alive from the inside out. You go from being spiritually dead to spiritually alive. Oh, it's amazing. And then fourthly, when you give your life to Jesus, it's not just a relational change, a legal change, a spiritual change, but it's also a locational change. Now, I'm not saying you close your eyes, you pray, you give your life to Jesus, and all of a sudden, you're taken up, beam me up, Scotty, you know, onto the Star Trek Enterprise, or whatever your choice of sci-fi movie is. It's not that. What I am saying is this, when you die, Jesus says this, John chapter 14, in my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, I wouldn't have told you I'm going there to prepare a place for you. He says, there's actually a place for you that I'm preparing in heaven. To the thief on the cross who had done no good works, when he called out to Jesus, Jesus looked at him and said, today you'll be with me in paradise. It's a locational change that you can know beyond a shadow of a doubt that when you die, you will spend eternity in paradise with our heavenly Father. Now guys, why do these four changes matter to me so much? Because some days I'm having a really bad day. And I feel like the world is against me. And so it is great to know that there's been a relational change in my life, that I'm not alone, that I have a good father that's in control, who will never leave me or forsake me, that I'm adopted by him, and if God is with me, who can be against me? On some days that are really, really bad, and I feel condemned because I've sinned and I've blown it, and again I'm like, 
gosh, what is wrong with me? I feel like everything I do is wrong. It's nice to know that there's been a legal change, that Jesus has paid for my sin, that he doesn't hold it against me, that I'm the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus, not a sin-filled scumbag. Can you say that in church? Of course you can. Thirdly, it's a spiritual change. Because sometimes I just feel like Satan is trying to draw me down and trying to get me to sin. And on those days, it's wonderful to know that I'm alive in Christ. That the same power that raised Jesus from the dead is living in me. So I can be victorious over sin, over temptation. I can live a pure and victorious life. And lastly, on my worst days, when I'm like, I don't really want to live on this earth anymore. You know, like taxes are coming again. And my car keeps breaking down. And I'm not having a good hair day. I'm not having a good hair month, right? And, or year. And I look and I go, but you know what? This world is not my home. I'm going to a place where there are no more taxes. I'm going to a place where I don't need a car. I'm going to fly everywhere. I'm going to a place where I'm going to have long flowing locks again because I'm going to have a new body in that place. I am going to a new place and it's called heaven. Heaven is my home. And if you're not 100% sure that you've been forgiven and been given a new life, I want to do what I've done in each of the services. Uh, would you just close your eyes with me right now? Every, every eye closed. This is the chance for you to know your sins are forgiven, for you to know that Jesus is coming to live in your heart. You'll never be alone again. For you to know that you'll spend eternity with him in heaven. Just pray this prayer with me. If that's your heart's desire, you can just say this in the privacy of your own heart right now after me. Just say, Jesus, I need you. I need a Savior. Thank you for dying on the cross for me. Thank you for rising from the dead for me. Come into my heart. Forgive my sins. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. And I'll walk with you forever. And just right now, while everyone just has their eyes closed, I'm not, not going to point you out, but I do want to pray for you. For those that say, I am praying with you right now, Pastor, to give my life to Jesus. Just quickly look up at me, wave your hand, then put it right back down. Just wherever you are, just wave at me. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Who else? Just wave at me. Thank you. Thank you. Anyone else? Just look up at me. If I didn't see you, thank you. Anyone else? Thank you. Anyone else? If I didn't see you, thank you. Lord, we are just so thankful for all these different ones giving their life to you, God. Lord, they can know today that their sins are forgiven, that they never have to return to their old life. And Lord, they're going to fall down, but they're going to always have you with them. And Lord, we just rejoice with them that they know that heaven's on the horizon for them. This world's not their only home. They're going to a better place. So we just celebrate. Let's celebrate, church. That's awesome. And, and just at, at the end, I encourage you to just raise your hand. Go to the guest tent, and I want uh, you'll get a free copy of my book that's called The Parting God, Discovering the God of Extravagant Love and Celebration. It'll help you in your relationship with him. Let me just finish this message with this thought. What you're going to find in the Gospels is these awesome stories about Jesus. And I, I thought this story, one of my favorites, is, it's called the Mount of Transfiguration, illustrates what Jesus wants to do in our life. 
in, in an incredible way. Uh, it starts with this. This is Matthew chapter 17. I've put it in the, the message translation so it's easy to wrap our minds around it. It says, six days later, three of them saw that glory. Jesus wants you to see him. So it starts this way. It says, Jesus took Peter and the brothers, James and John, and led them up on a high mountain. Okay, you guys know that San Diego has like one of the largest fishing fleets of anywhere in the world. Do you know that? Um, I'd love for everyone to go out fishing just once from San Diego, and, and not for the reasons that you might think, you know, I'm a fisherman, but I, I would love for you to be on one of those big fishing boats to hang out with some fishermen. Because when we read the Bible, we're like, ooh, Peter, wow, John, Paul, and we put them in this totally different category. And let me just tell you, if you go out and hang out on one of those big fishing boats, the guys that are baiting your hook with fish, they're like the normal bros. Like they're there because they don't want a desk job, right? They want to be out on the ocean, eating their sandwich, drinking their beer, right? And telling you fish stories. And why do I tell you that? Because they're normal dudes. And so many of us think, I could never really walk with Jesus because that's for like Mother Teresa, Francis Chan, Jason Weatherhead. And can I just tell you, no, it's for, for, for guys that hang out on fishing boats, chopping heads off of fish, right? Drinking their, drinking their whatever they drink and, and, and telling stories, right? They, they're the average Guys, but listen to what it says. He took them and led them up a high mountain. Can I just tell you that Jesus, the first thing he wants to do with you is have relationship. Like Jesus, the living God wants to walk with you. And the type of people he chose were normal. And if you're normal, you're a perfect candidate to walk with Jesus. Even if you're abnormal, he also took some abnormal people too. Some weird people, some messed up people. If you can hear me, you're a good candidate, okay? Um, Jesus is amazing. Now watch this. It says this, um, his appearance changed from the inside out. Now a lot of days are just normal, right? I mean, the disciples spend a lot of time just walking on the trail with Jesus. But every once in a while, there's one of these experiences where it says his appearance changed. Listen to this. Right before their eyes, sunlight poured from his face. Wow, his clothes were filled with light. Then they realized that Moses and Elijah were there in deep conversation with them. These were dead men. So Jesus is glowing. He's shining like the sun. And then two dead men show up and are talking to him. And one is the fulfillment of the law, Moses, the writer of the Pentateuch. We talked about that several weeks ago. And the other is Elijah, the greatest prophet who moved in the craziest power. And they're standing with Jesus. Can I tell you the second thing that Jesus wants to do after he takes you into a relationship? He wants to give you a revelation. Like he's going to, re re revelation means to reveal. He is going to reveal that he is not like everyone else. That his face shines like the sun. That he it transcends time. Okay, so I love this next part, guys, because it says Peter broke in. I mean, when Jesus is like shining in glory, don't break in, guys. But it says Peter broke in. Master, this is a great moment. What would you think if I built three memorials here on the mountain? One for you, one for Moses, one for Elijah. Now, this just shows you he's a fisherman, right? He's like, whoa, I'm going to build you a hut. We say dumb things in our spiritual lives. 
It says, while he was going on like this babbling, um, the great thing is, at least it doesn't go down in the Bible forever of the dumb things we say, right? <laughs> Poor Peter. Um, a, a light radiant cloud enveloped them and sounding from the deep in the cloud, a voice, this is my son, marked by my love, focus of my delight. Listen to him. What a beautiful Revelation. Can I, can I tell you, there's nothing that's going to fill your heart more than revelation from Jesus. I mean, that's, that's why we fast. That's why you go without food for several days is because all of a sudden you're reading and the word of God is just like illuminated. And you go, oh my goodness. So you have this experience where he speaks to you and there's nothing that's more satisfying than the, for the human heart than the revelation of God. Now, the problem is we get kind of hooked on it and we're like, hey, so maybe we should just put a tent up here. And never leave, because this is really good. And, and, and then there's a voice that says, no, listen, <laughs> I've actually got a plan. And so this is really cool. Watch what happens next. When the disciples heard it, they fell flat on their faces. Can I tell you, when you really encounter Jesus, you can't help but get humbled. Like you just fall flat and you're like, okay, you're God, I'm not. You're big, I'm teeny weeny, Right? You are amazing and powerful, and I am weak. Can I just tell you that when you really encounter Jesus, and this is why you need to keep encountering him, because it humbles you, and you quickly get out of your pride. Watch the next part. It says, they were scared to death. Now, if you have ever really experienced the presence of Jesus and his power, it's scary. Right? It's like a lion has stepped into the room I don't know if you've been around a lion. I talk often about when I was in South Africa and there was this chicken wire between us and this massive white lion and just its breathing made my chest shake, right? It was really cool and really scary. And that's how Jesus is when we really encounter him. And so what happens? They fall on their face. It says they're scared to death, but Jesus is not that kind of lion that's gonna destroy you. Instead, he, it says Jesus came over and touch them. There is nothing I want more in life than to be touched by Jesus. He is the God who touches you. Can I tell you, there is nothing that will satisfy you more. There's nothing that you'll enjoy more than when you're touched by Jesus. He wants to come near you. Can I just tell you, no matter how you feel today, Jesus wants to come near you and touch you. Now watch this last part. When they opened their eyes and looked around, all they saw was Jesus, only Jesus. I think this has a double meaning because they looked around, Moses and Elijah weren't there anymore, but they also, all they could see from that point on in their life after that encounter was Jesus. It was like staring at the sun and it leaves that black mark right in the center of your vision. Don't try that, by the way. Jesus was burned into their mind. And no wonder that these three guys would go on to lead the church. Peter would stand up in front of thousands of people that had turned against Jesus. And he's like, I don't care if you kill me. I got to tell you because all I see is Jesus. And then James would actually lay down his life and be killed to be with Jesus. And then John would lead the church for the rest of his life. Why? Because when you see Jesus, you just got to give him everything. You just want to live for him because he is all you see. Can I just tell you, church, that's why we have the Gospels, and that's the kind of people we want to be. 
I love that old song. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face. And then the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. I don't know what you're dealing with today. I don't know the issues, the pain, the bills, the heartache, the brokenness. But can I just tell you, turn your eyes on Jesus, church. Open up the Gospels and look at Jesus because he is good and he is the one that will never fail you. He makes all things new. He gives you the new relationship. He transforms you and in him is always hope. Let's stand up.